When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome back to the Prospect Podcast. I'm Ellen Halliday, Deputy Editor at Prospect, and today I'm joined by a guest who has a very personal connection to the story that we're going to discuss. Elena Gordon is the mother of Vladimir Karamodza, who was an author, historian and prisoner of conscience in Russia. Vladimir, who turns 42 on Thursday, has dedicated his life to Russian democracy through journalism, politics and his work enriching and defending Russian civil society. Vladimir was sentenced to 25 years of imprisonment after voicing his opposition to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And on Monday, Eleanor received news that he had been moved from a detention centre in Moscow to a maximum security penal colony. Eleanor and I have been speaking over the past couple of weeks about a piece she's written. It's a beautiful tribute to her son for Prospect. And in it, she explains what made him who he is today and shares her own perspectives as a mother. Today, she's joining us on the podcast. So thank you, Eleanor, very much for taking the time to speak. Yeah, my pleasure. So, Eleanor, this is a challenging week for you. And it's a moment in which you're reflecting on your son and everything that made him who he is. Can you tell us a bit about who you think Vladimir Karamoza is? Okay, my son is a fighter. He is also an idealist. He believes that the good will always win over the bad, and he wants to make his country better, happier, friendlier to, to other countries. That's his goal. That's his dream. He has a dream. And in terms of his life up until this point, he has been prolific across many sectors, starting in journalism, working in America, Can you give us a sense of some of the incredible things that he's done over the years? Well, uh, first of all, I must say that um, as a teenager, he actually wanted to become a musician. He played clarinet very well, very passionately. He wanted to leave school uh, and enter the musical college. But somehow I was a strict mother and I I thought that the education, academic education is necessary. In our family, it was a must. It went without saying. And so by the time he um, got his degree, he was already involved in politics so, so deep that he didn't think about the musical career anymore. So he, um, when he was growing up, he was surrounded by Russian intellectuals 
uh, our the, the circle of our friends, family. And you lived in Moscow. That's why he picked. Yeah, we lived in Moscow. Time. We were all born. Uh, we are the family of Moscovites. So all our parents, uh, we ourselves, and our son, we were all born in Moscow. Um, so it was, and it was, by Russian standards, good times when my son was growing. Information was available, actually, by the late 80s, 1980s. Uh, it was overwhelming, <laughs> the information. So he could, and he was a very inquisitive boy, um, well-read. Uh, so he could choose his own direction, so to say. Of course, helped by by all the people around us. Mm -hmm. You so. talk in the piece about the influence of his grandparents' stories at that time when information about Russia's past was also coming into the public debate. What was it about his grandparents' experience that you think influenced him? Well, it uh, coincided uh, with the with the openness uh, openness in in Russia, and the um, the stories his grandparents' stories they reflected the history of the 20th century Russia, because they they came all four grandparents they came from um, different backgrounds, ethnic cultural. There was Russian nobility, uh, Russian. Um, merchant families, Jewish uh, intellectuals, Russian. My grandfather was an army, Russian army officer. And um, uh, father of my mother-in-law was a Latvian revolutionary, professional revolutionary, so to say. So it's also varied and at the same time so typical for the 20th century Russia. You could you have a, a glimpse of of history in our family, like in many Russian families, of course. Mm -hmm. And of course, he so. also saw the events of the '90s, the late '80s, unfolding in Russia himself as a young child. Um, tell us about August 1991 in particular, and the impact that. Well, first of all, you know what happened in those days, and then the impact as well on on Vladimir and his thinking. Okay, it was summer. Uh, we were living at the dacha, um, so Vladimir obviously had summer holidays, school holidays. Um, I was working. I was going to. I think it was a Monday, and uh, I was uh, going to to drive to my office, the publishing house where I worked in Moscow. When a friend came, and he had his face was really black. He said. And we have a political coup. Switch the TV on. Uh, we switched it on, and there was nothing but this one lake there. So I drove to the office, which was at Tverskaya Street, and Vladimir stayed at the dacha with the grandmother. So, and it was two days of suspense, really. It was frightening. We thought that the fragile freedom uh, that we were hoping to, to see uh, 
will now be taken away from us. So those were the um, most frightening, maybe, days of our lives until until then. It, it was an enormous. He remembers it until this day as a turning point in his life, when he became a political being, so to say. Well, he developed later, of course. He was only, he was going to become, to turn 10 into weeks time. And, and later you moved to the UK with Vladimir. So he had an experience yeah. of quite a different society, culture, and and he saw the elections of 1997 um, and afterwards happening in the UK as well. Um, how important do you think that experience was in kind of building his understanding of of democracy and what he was pushing for in Russia? I, th- I think it was a very important school of um, uh, democracy, politics. He actually did politics as A-levels in his school and um, half the time they, they did the first year of A-levels and then suddenly the teacher left and they were offered to make the half of the modus, um, I don't remember what it was called at that time, half of the A-level. But then Vladimir decided that he would tutor the this course himself until the full A-levels. AS, I think the, the half modus is called, was called at the time. And he did. There were five or six of them in this A-levels. They, don't, they all did it, full curriculum. So he was so focused always. And he was, he was so curious. He was willing to learn all the time. He, he examined all the possibilities. For a while, I think he, he joined a circle of young conservatives in Harrow. And he attended their meetings. It was a great worry to me because it always happened late in the evening. Well, the other young conservatives were a little bit older than he. He was still at school. So they were gathering at, I don't know, 7, 8 in the evening. And he didn't come home until 11 or 12 at night to Harrow. So, but it was very important for him. So then he also, I think, he met the representative of other political parties in England. He was investigating, researching, so to say, all the yeah. how, how democracy works. Yeah. And at that age, he was also beginning to write his first forays into journalism. Can you tell us a bit about, about that? Okay. We ourselves didn't know anything about it. Uh, we were subscribing, um, uh, we subscribed to newspapers, obviously English newspapers, but also Russian magazines and newspapers. And I didn't read them, I had no time. Vladimir was reading everything. And he discovered that at some stage in Russia, the uh, quite well-established newspaper, the, the editing board split somehow, and there was a new newspaper emerged. And he researched and found out they didn't have a London correspondent or they didn't have a correspondent in England at all. So he wrote to them and suggested that he might contribute pieces. He didn't say how old he was. I think he was uh, 15 going on 16 at that time. Uh, So he sent a couple of pieces as a trial 
and they thought they were good enough. So I remember that his first published piece was about the fox hunt, hunting with foxes in England. It was a, a debate, was debated at that time. And I think it was uh, quite, it was banned almost very soon after, after that, yeah. So that was his very first article. We didn't know about it at all. Then somebody asked his father. His father was working at the Russian TV, was living in Moscow. And suddenly a friend met his father and asked, how come that you're also writing from London? I see you every, every night here on Russian television. So his father couldn't understand what was going on. And then it all became clear that Vladimir was secretly writing for the... For, for the Russian newspaper. And then he became really a London correspondent for this. The newspaper was called Novy Izvestia, the New Izvestia. It was a... So. Then he, he found the Russian London Courier and started contributing regularly to them. Mm -hmm. And it went. Yeah. From that, it went and never stopped. After the break, we'll talk more about Vladimir's story and how his life in Russia, England and the USA made him. If you enjoy our podcasts and would like to consume more of our journalism, we'd encourage you to subscribe. A subscription unlocks full access to Prospect content across newsletters, web, app and print. And right now, a subscription to Prospect costs as little as £1 per month. Visit prospectmagazine.co.uk and subscribe now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. And later, you, you say in your piece that you, you've watched his career develop with a mixture of admiration and also also worry. What, what, what was it about Vladimir's developing career that, that made you have that mixture of, of emotions? Um, first, uh, I must say that I have never been in favour of his involvement in politics because uh, I thought that he had so much more about him academically, creatively, 
He could make films, he could write books. For me, I don't know, I still have prejudices against politics myself. I think you have to make lots of compromise to be successful in politics. And I know that my son is honest, principled, and he's a man of honor. So uh, I thought it would be difficult for him in, in politics, and it was, it was. So, and why I did watch his career, as I said, mixture of admiration, apprehension, um, because especially he was also adamant that he wanted to fight for democracy in Russia. He said um, to me once, uh, I don't want to, to stay in England because England will be well without me. They manage without me, but Russia will not. So he wanted to be where they need him most, as he thought, and he still thinks so. Mm-hmm. Obviously, in April last year, that was when Vladimir was first arrested for having spoken out against Russia's war in Ukraine. That must have been an incredibly difficult moment for you. How how have you been feeling since then? Yeah, I was shaken and I never recovered, so to say. And it was predictable. I also, yeah, I begged him not to go back to Russia because we met in Berlin in late March 19. Uh, and the, the sole reason uh, for my meeting him at that time was begging him not to, to, to go to Russia. And he promised to think about it, but he didn't promise not to go. So he thought his place is there, where his, that his people needed his, his support and that somebody should speak up against this war, also in Russia, within Russia. How much contact have you had with him over the past year, year and a half? The past year and a half, I, so I learned about his arrest on the 11th of April. I flew on the 12th of April and on the 13th, I was in Moscow and I could see him. He was um, uh, detained on an administrative charge at first. Therefore, meeting him was not really a problem. I went to the detention center and they allowed me to, to see him. We could embrace each other. But already at that time, I realized what would be happening next, that they will not stop at it, that it was only the beginning. beginning. Yes, what, what can I say? I, I live only to see him free. That is what supports me me now do you otherwise i would have collapsed i think yeah to what extent do you think vladimir was aware of the risks that you also saw i think he was in a way deluded there was a sort of delusion he was full of um uh, energy fighting energy i think it blocked his other feelings it's like adrenaline he wanted to fight, and he didn't know about his own. He didn't think about his own safety. So I think there was delusion in it, 
And of course, nobody could see the scale of this evil, how it developed, how the, the, the worst in people was suddenly awoken, awoken by, by this war. I, I don't know. I see it like, a, I don't know, universal evil coming from the bottom of the human souls. It's very abstract to say so, but yeah. And so after Vladimir's arrest in April last year, he was he was sentenced this April to 25 years in a maximum security penal colony. He also appealed that and appeared in court in at the end of July uh, in a hearing that in which his appeal was was rejected, you were able to travel to Moscow to be in in court. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I travelled both for the uh, for the hearing in April on the seventeenth of April when he was sentenced to this twenty five years, and I also travelled to the appeal hearing on the thirty first of July. Yeah, it was all done matter of factly. There was normally we hear, we read that very often at, during the appeal hearing, uh, the sentence would be reduced sometimes by a couple of months, sometimes by a year, a year, year and a half. In Vladimir's case, it was left as it was. It, it was a demonstration to make it very obvious what, what they meant, what they wanted to show that it is resistance is punishable vladimir was a very prominent dissident in his time before he was in prison and he's remained prominent since he was since he was arrested both in his own writing and also in terms of the kind of support that he's had from other organizations how would you characterize that support and what kind of support have you been getting well i can certainly feel the attention the public attention, the, the words of support. I'm sorry to say that apart from the words, I don't see much help. I, me personally, I don't think Vladimir so far has seen any help. The only, of course, uh, maybe it helps um, to, to keep him safe, so to say, to prevent them from killing him. But other than that, they do what they want so far. Mm -hmm. I'm grateful and at the same time I'm disappointed. So I want to see more, not just words, more practical deeds. Who are you Help. looking to for those practical deeds? What, what kind of action do you, would you like them to take? Well, I appeal to the, to the British government because Vladimir is also a British national. I know that in Russia, Russia does not recognize dual citizenship. They say when he is in Russia, he's, he's been treated as a Russian citizen only. But from the British side, there must, they must be some. There is a tension. I know the, the British embassy in Moscow, they're following his case. They're trying to, to visit him. They haven't succeeded yet. But at least there is something, yes. There have been actions, there, there are declarations, there are, I don't know, appeals. 
but I feel it more from the other side of the ocean. And I'm not there. That is where my, my daughter-in-law is very active. She actually tra travels all over the world to, to rescue her husband. Mm -hmm. Well, I, as a mother, I can only appeal to the emotions in people. And I do. What else? I'm not a political figure. I actually detest politics, I must say honestly. So, but I still think that humanity must, cannot afford to lose its best. And biased as I am, I still think that my son is one of the best. Mm -hmm. Why should we let them die? Yeah. Well, he's certainly shown immense bravery. And I think in some of the photographs that you've shared with us, including the photographs when he's in court, you can see his defiance and in his words as well. That certainly comes through. Yeah, yeah, he, he, he is defiant. He, his spirit is unbroken, but he, he's lost 25 kilos there and his health is, is not brilliant. Well, if, if I could just say thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us and your beautiful tribute to Vladimir that you've written and anyone who's listening can can visit our website and read in full and see there as well some of the photographs that you shared of you, Vladimir, his father and his grandparents over the years. It's I appreciate this is a very difficult time for you and for your family. So thank you very much for taking the time to speak. You're welcome. I have many more photographs and many for memories to share. To read Eleanor's essay about Vladimir in full, then head to prospectmagazine.co.uk. And to engage with more of our journalism, pick up a copy of the latest issue of Prospect Magazine that's on sale today. And while you're here, why don't you subscribe to Something Slightly Different? Prospect Lives is a monthly series of audio diary entries from our family of seven writers, including Sheila Hancock, Alice Goodman and Mike Brearley. It is honestly a joy. Sometimes it will make you laugh, sometimes it will make you cry, but it will definitely give you a snapshot of the lives of people who live a little differently to you. Just search for Prospect Lives wherever you get your podcast or click on the link in the show notes of this episode.